Hello and welcome back, listeners. This is Jason, player of Tam Westcrown, and we are back for another Shop Talk show. Today we are going to be talking to Kyle, the GM from Dicecasters. Uh, Kyle, why don't you go ahead and tell us about yourself and Dicecasters. Hi, I'm Kyle. I'm from Dicecasters here in uh, Adelaide, Australia. Uh, we've been playing a Pathfinder 2E campaign for the last year and a half. Uh, and we're a bunch of good friends who just like to sit around and make some dick jokes and just make everyone laugh. <laughs> and uh, for those of if you're coming at us from the Dicecasters feed, my name is Jason. Again, I play Tam Westcrown currently in the Serpent's Skull Adventure Path on the Shield Bash podcast. Uh, we ourselves are going to be uh, moving into um, the Extinction Vaults here in the next couple episodes, so... Keep your ears open for that as well. And today on Shop Talk Show, we are going to be talking about the chosen topic of world building, specifically, not the concept of uh, like sitting down and developing lore as you play, but the actual brewing of a world, for like a custom play setting, campaign setting, however you want to say it. Now, I myself, uh, I have one that I call Breakwater maps and books and all these lovely homemade classes and items and all sorts of fun things to play in what is it kyle that made you want to talk about world building i just love the idea of world building and creating my own universe it, it, it just excites me it gets the creative uh, juices flowing and being able to jump in and create something from scratch has always been uh, something that always gets me excited. Uh, and I just love creating worlds and towns and cities and people that live in those cities. It just feels good to do. And that's why I love doing it. Awesome. Well, obviously, you know, if you're running a bunch of 2E stuff, there's not everything is homebrewed for you. But how much do you say you do your homebrew versus non? Uh, the Keeper Eternal setting that I run, uh, which is our main campaign on Dicecasters, is uh, an entirely homebrew world. Uh, everything about that world in Bastille is homebrew. Uh, I am throwing elements of the Galarian setting into the homebrew as flavouring and on top of the, the actual world itself, i.e. the pantheons, the gods, um, and I'm trying to introduce uh subtly into like uh the game the like adventure paths uh so, so that way they're still the galarian settings of the world in my world as well so just uh, that way those who are more familiar with the pathfinder 2e setting of galarian still have that uh draw to come in, into our world and and play around as well very cool very cool. Is that difficult at all for you to like put those like those pre-written things into the world, or is it <clears throat> just the freedom of being able to say, "Well, it's my world. I can have whatever the fuck I want." Yeah, it's it's difficult. To, the timing of it is the most difficult thing I've uh, coming up with uh, in regards to where, where I'm going to put such adventures. But I find if a certain adventure path suits a certain continent. If the players go to that continent, I'd like I'll throw in breadcrumbs that would lead to that adventure path, uh, and then if they go and if they start it, I will yeah change some of the town names and change some of the maybe some of the people name, but it'll just it'll be that adventure path, but it'll just be uh, slightly altered, but still uh, very familiar to those uh, people who already play that game or and those people who would be listening specifically to the podcast or watching the stream. That still have their own homebrew uh, Keeper Eternal adventure. I I know how the I've seen that I should say I'm gonna stammer through that sentence. I've seen that we had a guy in one of my home games. He was going to run this module that he'd found, and I was listening to it, and we were taking a quick break so people could smoke, bathroom, whatever. And I was like, hey, does this end with like a evil druid trying to resurrect a vampire lord from underneath a tree deep in a cavern? <laughs> he's like have you you've played this before i'm like no but i've heard one of the podcasts do it and like they were doing it at a completely different town yeah yeah, yeah. In a, in a different world setting but i was like 
I know this story. Like this yeah, is yeah. beginning to make sense. This is so. this is familiar. Yeah. So yeah. It, it and the people who love that those adventure paths or those or those D and D modules who love that they're gonna they're gonna hear that same sort of like oh this sounds familiar oh I love this story and then that gets a more hook. Or and, there's a there's a keep on the Borderlands. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Maybe. Um, <laughs> Right, that sounds right. Um, it, it's one of those <laughs> uh, things that it, it, it's, it gets people from both worlds uh, and gets them together a bit more, and helps create a more uh, more firmer community. I reckon. Yeah, it all, I can also imagine it helps. One of the things I personally have struggled with um, in my homes in making my own home setting is the pantheon, and mostly like the motivations behind the people that then worship those deities, you know, and having all that pre-built has got to be, in my mind, it's got to be a big load off your shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, having the Pantheon, uh, from the Galarian setting and bring it in, into my homebrew world just means that it's just one aspect. I don't really need to think about. I can be like, Hey, uh, to my players, I go, Hey, this is my homebrew setting. It's the Pantheon from the, it's a Pathfinder 2E system. Uh, we're going to have the, pantheon from the pathfinder universe so therefore if you want to make a cleric or a champion the all the stuff's there you don't have to come to me and ask me questions you already have yeah. all the information there and you also don't have to alter like deity specific feats and things like that yeah exactly i know in i know in first edition that would that would just be a freaking nightmare there's oh, there's a lot of those oh yeah they, uh, we looked at uh pathfinder 1a uh, and just before uh Pathfinder 2 was came out and we just said, we'll just wait for Pathfinder 2 We'll just see how that comes out. And it came out and went, this seems a lot easier for people to just get into. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Uh, I've got uh, probably two dozen first edition like hardback rule books. <laughs> so, like, yeah, when 2E comes out, it's just like, it's going to be easier because you've got two books. Yeah. One <laughs> rule book, Beastiary. That's it. Go nuts. And I, yeah. I remember you know, sitting in the, like reading the core rule book, sitting in front of my laptop and just like trying to see what I, uh, what elements needed to be changed, not like terribly changed or not like overwritten completely, but just things that just need to be slightly altered. Um, okay. This leads me to a question that I have thought about several times, but I've never really had anybody to ask. And this is the perfect opportunity. So I'm going to get a little off topic. Wait. When you get that book, is it in imperial or metric Ooh, metric i believe and i'm not gonna run here because i've always thought like how do they equate because here it's five foot squares everybody moves 25 or 30 feet yeah we use the same system and um yeah i got it here um yeah it's the same thing it's five foot squares uh that system um uh, I think that that system is very easy to uh, translate, no matter where you are. Okay. So, no, that's all right. I was just always curious. Like, I didn't know if they converted that. Like, okay, it's not a five foot square; it's a two meter square. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it, that's that's a very easy to translate uh, from location to location thing to uh, a rule to describe. So, yeah, it's the same here. Okay. All right. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, that's just something that's like popped in my head a few times and now I have an answer yeah. alright they just don't convert it um cause a part of me want, like cause I know they have to do localizations for some things you know like other languages and things but so back to our topic of homebrewing so how did you get in like what made you decide okay the Glorian setting it's nice but it's not what I want like was there something specific about it or Something that was there that you didn't like? Something that was missing? I've had an idea for a story in my head for oh, since I was a teenager. I'm 32 now. So this story of an idea has been in my head for a very long time. Um, of course, it plays out a lot differently to what I ever expected it to be. What? Um, because, you know, players make decisions. and No. Yeah. But if you know what you're doing as a dungeon master, they shouldn't have any decisions <laughs> to make. Um, so, uh, of course, it's it's turned out wildly different than I ever expected. But I always had this idea, and since 
back when I was a teenager, I wasn't I wasn't playing D and D at the time or Pathfinder for that matter. So I, I, I was playing around with this idea of this story and. I was creating this whole world in my head and writing it down. I just, I just said no outlet for it. Yes, I probably could have uh, wrote a book, uh, but I will write something and immediately hate it. Uh, and yeah. so uh, it would go to the wayside and I would just be like, no, it was terrible and just continue to move on. Not but uncommon. Th- th- it's, it, it's a, as far as I'm aware, it's a fairly, it's a fairly common thing. And, you know, it, it's, Sucks to have this this syndrome where you where you, you write something and you just like hate it, delete, and, and just can't move off square one. And the reason why I went homebrew in this in this particular scenario is this story I wanted to tell, and I wanted to tell it in my world. Um, and Galarian uh, could have could have told that story. I would have had to make a lot of changes uh, to. The story that I wanted to tell, and I thought, no, 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 I could, I could just make slight changes to my world mm. to fit that setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of having to overwrite everything and try to fit it into Galarian, I took the Galarian setting and changed some things to fit my world. Gotcha. And it, yeah, so it, it was a matter of I've got a story to tell, and uh, I don't know. Well, I know uh, the tabletop role playing experience is the way to tell it gotcha and yeah i i've seen yeah i listen to a lot of podcasts and you get that mix like some that are like i do like to listen to the ones that are in adventure pads uh, because there's so many ap's that i'm never going to get a chance to play them also listen to somebody else enjoy them and then i i listen to a lot that are just completely homebrew Mm -hmm. and then you get things like the adventure zone that start in an established setting and then veer wildly to the side, and you're like you would never even recognize it if you came <laughs> in in season three. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but where did you start with homebrew? Like, what was the first thing that made you go, okay, this is like, was it a map? Did you start with like a group of people? Where? What was it for for this one? Or what uh, do you so recommend people start with? I recommend people starting with the idea. Uh, that's always where you're going to start like what and the idea of the story you want to maybe tell in your in your campaign then moving to uh, just the small things because the one thing you don't want to do when trying to think of a homebrew setting is overwhelm yourself with ideas otherwise you just you're just going to have too many places to go and then you just don't it's going to be hard to like put things where they should be and you just have this amalgamation of stuff and it's going to sit there. Start small, work big. Uh, start with one location, maybe build a map if, you, if you're so inclined. It, it's, it all depends on which way you best work uh, with either writing it down, drawing a map, recording yourself speak to about this idea that you have and then playing it back and then writing it down. It, it, it all becomes to what best suits you. Um, well, what best suits what best suits you? What, what, what what's Kyle's method? What what makes you go? Mm, yeah. I'm a I'm a talker. Uh, I, I will talk it out with myself, um, and as I'm talking, I'll write it down and uh, visualize. I'm not a I'm not I have zero artistic ability when it comes to drawing, so. Putting down a map, uh, not going to be my specificity. I'll draw an outline or something and then go, oh, it looks about right, and then I'll work it out, and then I'll write down write down how I think it would look. Uh, so I, that that's the what system that works for me, is uh, talking it out and writing it down at the same time. No, I mean, a dungeon master who's good at drawing okay. pictures with his words is a good thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I have seen one bit of advice on maps. I think it was Monarch Factory uh, on YouTube that I saw this, where they um, uh, she just took a handful of dice, rolled them out onto a sheet of paper, and said, "That's your coastline." No, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've seen a lot of uh, people do uh, show their dice maps where they're just taking the whole dice bag, throwing it on the table, and then drawing around it and going, "Yep, that's my map." Yep. So. If, if I something's crit- too far inland, it's a point of interest. If it's yep. too far off the coast, then it's an island. And mm. 
I think yeah. that's a that's and each number also represents uh, a certain type of land as well. Like this D six here represents a swamp area, and so I know I think that's a really excellent way of doing things. And if I ever mm. homebrew another total new world, I think I might do that because that's something I've always looked at and gone, that's really interesting. I've already got my world, so I don't need a new one right now. But I yeah. like that idea. Yeah, I hadn't heard that part about um, uh, the different types of dice, meaning different types of land. That's that's another interesting way to make sure your map isn't boring. Yeah. See, yeah. Um, yeah, like you do the initial map rollout. You, go, you do the tracing, and then uh, if I don't, I don't know if it's you just take all the numbers and you go, all right, so these this cluster here, uh, we've got six on a D6, that's a swamp. This one's over here, it's four on a D6, so that's a mountain area. So I don't, I, or if you draw it and then you re-roll, like just D6s or D12s, or whatever, or how many ideas of landscapes you have, and you roll them all out and you go, all right, so I'll roll all these D12s, and one to twelve, they all mean separate things, and boom, all right. And there's, that's the map setting. It's all swamps and mountains and deserts and stuff, in separate locations. So, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it would be a, a an easy, like a look, kind of low stress. You know, like you don't really have to think about it. You don't have to be like, okay, well, um, so there's a desert here, which means there'd be mountains right next to it. it goes, no, dude, it's you it's right got there. people like pull fire out of the air. Like, just who cares about the topography? Just make a world. Yeah, <laughs> just, here we go. There we go. Mountain next to the swamp. What a result. Here we go. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, and there's uh, a there's a castle in that swamp. They probably had to build that four times. <laughs> that one fell down. Put one on the top of it. I like that reference. That was a good one. I like that. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah. So I think that's a really interesting way to uh, do. It. And then if yeah, next time I build a totally new world, I reckon that's uh, something I'm going to attempt at least. Um, and see if it works better than my current method. Because my current method was, I play a lot of video games, so there's obviously going to be a, a swamp level, a mountain level, and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> desert level. Obligatory sewer dungeon. Yeah, <laughs> sewer dungeon. And so I so I, I had a lot of that methodology in my head uh, And uh, when I created uh, Bastille. And now I'm thinking, I could have could really, could done that a bit better. Uh, and... These are this these that map system that you that you brought up. It's a it's a really brilliant way of doing something, and I think I, I'm definitely going to look at that next time I create a homebrew. Yeah. Thank thank you for reminding me that system exists. That's uh, no problems. It's um, I I don't watch a lot of YouTubers, but Monarchs Factory has this mix of like uh, she does a lot of D and D stuff, and she also does a lot of like Greek slash Roman mythology. So my wife really likes that stuff. I watch D and D stuff, yep. and quite frankly. I, I love listening to Australian accents, so <laughs> yeah, it, it's just another bonus. Oh, so, right. so she, so she's a monarch's Australian. I really need to get into her and see, see what she's got on there because that sounds really good. Yeah, um, she was on. Um, uh, oh crap! What's the critical role? Geek and Sundry for a little while. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, she was doing some stuff for them. I know. Uh, yeah. She hasn't. I haven't been watching her a lot lately because I've been. You know, kids busy life, yeah, but of course, yeah. Anyway, this, off topic this, again. This podcast not sponsored by Monarch. Nope. <laughs> uh, but hey, Monarch, if you ever want to reach out and uh, yeah. do one of these, uh, I'm sure either of us would be happy to have a conversation oh. with you. Yeah, just yeah, just on the side, just you know. yeah, you know, if you happen yeah, to yeah. listen to this specific episode of either of these random tweets. <laughs> anyway, um, so for me personally, I. I'm also not very artistic as far as drawing goes, but I do like making maps, uh, especially, you know, D&D maps tend to be a lot easier because you get a grid, you know, you don't have to freehand as much, but I ended up with this idea for my world that started with the map, and then, like, I just filled it in from there, which admittedly is not a great method. It's not, because you end up having to populate this big thing and it for me personally like i i started breakwater over a decade ago and i'm still not really thrilled with it uh just because it's it feels kind of it lackluster you know Mm -hmm. like it doesn't have any of the that thing that's like oh these guys are really cool because of this you you are i don't recommend starting with a map even though that is what i personally did Yeah, yeah um one of the things that I found 
is like the people motivations you know yeah. i um what was a uh, cobalt guide to world building uh, I, I got that from cobalt press and the first chapter talked about like each group of people needs to have like a motivation of like yeah why like what is important in their society which really really should have been like one of the first things i thought about mm. one of the things i found uh helps the situation of like are building a populace and what their what their motivation is is taking the setting of let's say Absalom and the city of uh, one of the major cities in Galarian and going right where does that city fit most in my world and just like taking that group and just plunking them in there and just renaming and they go right so this place is now Denel this is a uh, um, and putting some of my own uh, twists on it as well so it's not completely just a cut and copy paste. Uh, so it's uh, so that's another uh, maybe a helpful hint is that if you're uh, confused about well, how, what populace should I put in here, what populace do I have an idea about? And let's say it's uh, you know uh, a, city, a city full of magic users, and where it's a thriving major city, everyone is the center point of all hub. Well, that city sounds like this city in this setting. I'll just bloop into that. Uh, and it, that it, it, it finding similarities with your idea in an existing setting, and maybe um, cut and copy, and then putting your own twists on it to make sure it, it's not just a cut copy job, but still it makes it filling that populace a whole lot easier. Um, so that's that's a, a lot of things that I did in my setting. Uh, that's uh, that city sounds a lot like this. Done. I've heard it said that uh, the most successful GMs are the ones who steal from the most obscure places possible yep so yeah <laughs> so like you didn't necessarily come up with the idea but your players don't recognize it because they have no idea what it's actually from yeah yes yeah the, the, oh this i was saying the game you'll never find a place uh for the more scum and villainy and they go is this down to me go, no no totally not this is my city this is not at all what are you talking about yeah no <laughs> no and just you know i mean you're not playing an android or anything are you <laughs> Because <laughs> you're not allowed to most of the bars. Anyway, yeah. moving on. <laughs> I have found that as, as an easy thing to be able just to, like, you know, pick out bits and pieces. And if you can change it just enough that the players don't know, but it also is the question of do you, with your homebrew, how often do you have player input, like uh, suggestions or um, even just, like, in the middle of a session, they're like, you know, it'd be cool with this. And you're just like, this well, is should be canon. Yeah. Um, I will leave. Um, I will create the homebrew setting uh, and do most do about seventy five percent of the work. And then I'll stop and go to the players. Like, all right, this is the setting now. Uh, now's your time to create your characters, and if you have any ideas for backstory or something uh, that is not established yet, if you have an idea for a character, let me know so that way I can work that in. Um, and then go, hey, uh, my uh, character is a monk who trained with dwarves in this island setting. I write, I had no idea that that existed, but it exists now. Uh, mm. and, and and I'll find an island uh, set and I'll put it in there and go, that's where they are. Yeah. And You now have a cabal of dwarven monks. Yeah, and that, that, that's like, I didn't have them before, but I do now. And, that's big, and so that way they play input when... We get to that area, and I go, oh, you've, there's a, this, oh, you roll a society check, and uh, you got a really high score. You know, all these islands are pretty uh, mundane, but there's one island in particular that seems to have this temple, and you know it's about a temple filled with dwarven monks, and that player will go, oh, oh, that's my thing, that's my thing, and they get like, you know, so it's it's it, it helps with the like getting the player characters in, involved and excited because they've now got something that was theirs and specifically theirs. And if someone in game goes, you know, it'd be really cool if that if, if one of the island had a green dragon on it, I could go, yes, it would be cool, and like scribble down notes furiously, to <laughs> um, <laughs> see if it was setting, you know, it, 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 it see if that dragon won't absolutely annihilate them if they're a high enough level or level. Yeah. No, <laughs> so playing with stats <laughs> and stuff, it's always exciting when when someone goes, let's let's go explore these islands, 
And I, I don't prepare anything for the islands. I know there's a populace that lives on them. And they go, that, oh, it would be cool if you found this. They're like, it would be cool, yes. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a, a lesser example of this, but um, I so I play the um, uh, My Little Pony tabletop game with my, my, my little girls, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're doing this thing um, where they're stuck in this basically the islands of the Caribbean big storm around them they can't get out and then one of them my my youngest was just like my parents live here and I'm like do they she's like yeah they live on this island I'm like well they certainly don't live here but and then I'm like flipping through the map I'm like they can live somewhere yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. I, I love that aspect of being of the homebrew water just be like hey I think this would happen with my character in, the, in this location. And I'm here going, it certainly can. Or if they go, I think this would happen with my character here, but like, maybe not, but maybe over here. So that way, yeah, if it doesn't ex- fit one certain aspect of this continent that I built, I can at least go, we can at least have a conversation and just like, I love your story. It's really good, but I don't think it would happen here. It would happen yeah. more over here in this, in this uh, continent where it's more arid and uh, maybe less hospitable. Um, and they go, and they go. All right, cool. That's fine. And works for yeah. me. Yeah. So the, the player input is uh, paramount to the whole uh, conversation, and making sure that you do it at the right time. So you know, you haven't built this world, and then the player character goes, "Oh, I want to do this," and you go, "I can't fit that anywhere." Um, so always leave room for uh, for your homebrew for player character input because uh, they they might throw something that you've never thought of and it would be really exciting to have their idea in that game and would really excite them yeah and you know also quite frankly it makes your job as the gm and the person making the world a little bit easier because yeah. they've just written part of it for you exactly yeah so, like, and you the, just write it down and then that's just the thing from now on yep they, they want to have that uh that forest with a with their brother in there causing chaos, fantastic. That's what we're going to have there because that's going to be that's that's. I now don't need to write that for a section because that's already written for me. Yep. And uh. what's also cool, I uh, you know they, I, I've done this with Breakwater because I've run several campaigns in Breakwater because it tends to kill parties very quickly and easily. Yeah. Um, but there's usually a couple survivors, mm. and then they're there for the next campaign. Oh. So the new characters get to be like they they meet one of the the old characters or one of the NPCs or they encounter you know um, a keep that's or like a, a big wizard's tower out in the middle of nowhere that's been crumbled down to dirt and they're like we did that yeah yeah not yeah. this time but we did that last time <laughs> we destroyed that guy's house that's really cool and it, it's a good feeling for the players yeah yeah uh, specifically there's been one NPC that just reoccurs over and over again for a lot of them and they're just like oh that you you want to know what his name is yes please it's kyle (laughs) 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 they encountered him as a thief captured him uh convinced him to stop being a thief and then they encountered him in a, a couple campaigns later as a merchant and then as a store owner and then you know then they met his son and you know then met his son again and (laughs) multi-generational npc encounters oh wow that's that's amazing i um i've only done one thing like that and that was a a merchant before we started streaming our games and uh, before we went on the internet to play dungeons and dragons and pathfinder uh we were you know playing at home and uh I was writing a merchant called uh, Price Stomp, an orc merchant, because he had stomp on everyone else's prices. Mm. And he, he, they would just continue to run into him in all these random locations. And, uh, and now I've introduced him into the Keeper Eternal setting as well. And they're just, as soon as I introduced him, the, the, everyone just went, Why? And it was just <laughs> one of those moments of like, Yeah, it's Price Stomp, it's this guy! Cause he's just this over the top character. And he's just the. People got really excited to see him again. It was just a joy in people's faces. But like only the people who played in the previous home games would know him. Like none of the audience would. But it's just one of those uh, moments of joy that would have come across everyone's face, uh, and that could have also just enticed the audiences a little bit more. I I run a similar thing with a. Um, it's not always the same guy. 
Yeah. But it's the same name and the same concept of a shop. It's Akbar's Not <laughs> Useless Goods. <laughs> I love it. That's yeah. so good. Is that free to use a trap? <laughs> Uh, not to his knowledge, but he's the guy who, um, you know, you go in there and he's like, I got a bag of 12 left shoes. Like, what do you do with that? Akbar It's like, you can do anything with them. You find somebody who's got a bag of 12 right shoes. You go into a dungeon, you throw them down the hall. You you find somebody who, you know, only has one leg and you sell like, you know, like he'll pitch and sell anything. He's got like a broken pitchfork and he calls it the curved spear. You know, it's good for getting around shields. It's... Yeah, and I get that same reaction when I get to introduce him back into a situation where people are like, "It's Akbar! What useless crap is he going to try and hawk for us today?" <laughs> All right, let me let me steal that idea real quick. <laughs> I love oh, it. please, please, please! It's based on the um, if you ever read the web comic Eight Bit Theater, because again, uh, crib yes. from the more obscure places. Yeah. Um, there was this merchant that I can't remember his name, but it was. You know, not a flying death trap, and he sold yeah. airships. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I gotta, I gotta look into that. That sounds amazing. Now, I personally do run mostly in. Oh, ow, ow. Claws. Sorry, my cat's trying to climb on my lap. That's about my um, doing that yet. Well, I, I saw it walk back and forth. I got an orange one. I, uh, anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do anyway. run mostly in uh, the, the standard Galorian setting. I run a lot of adventure pads, especially the past couple years. But I do also find... I also run a lot of conventions. I don't know if you do a lot of cons where you're at and do like society play. But uh, Man, I wish we did, but uh, just COVID's been crazy. Um, and we haven't had any... Uh, uh, any chance to go into any cons um, and we've only been around for a year and a half so I don't think we're quite big enough yet to go into them but like that was the plan yeah. we're just waiting well, for uh, waiting for the opportunity for us to actually go into one because you know everything gets cancelled yeah I, I just meant like on a personal level if you oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. society or yeah, anything love, love um, <laughs> but like so you should know like when you when you're doing society everything is this is the way it is can't just dick around with it like yeah yeah but when i'm running stuff at home like uh, in my kingmaker game it's like okay yeah um the summer courts exist for fey creatures now yeah that's a thing i can just do like you've met the king of the summer court he doesn't exist in galarian but you know fuck it he does now yeah exactly yeah if 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 a character if a player comes to me and says hey there's this really cool thing that's in D &D," and i'll and but obviously we're playing pathfinder and like I really want to kind of experience this as a as a character. I'll be like, well, I'll figure out a way to put it in there. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I I will obviously have to play with some sets and do some uh, do some like law rearranging to make it fit. Not perfectly. I'm not gonna make it perfect. I'm I'm gonna make it fit and then just play with it as I go. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to do that kind of stuff because why not? Like. It's a game of storytelling and and collaboration. Why would we stand there and be like, no, we're not going to have that. That's dumb. Like that's just going to hurt the player's experience, and it's it's going to make the whole gaming session awkward. I don't know if you've ever read the Abhorson books uh, by Garth Nix. My wife uh, loves them. I think they're great. I found a somebody who had um, homebrewed the Abhorson which is like a, essentially a white necromancer, if you know the term, uh, into 5th edition. And then I took it and retooled it into Pathfinder 1st edition. Because so like, I know as soon as we play any campaign that deals a lot with the undead, that's what she's going to play. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Because I, I just know she's going to love doing that. Yeah, yeah. And, and and having that foresight to be able to think like, oh no, I know if we, we're going to do this campaign. And I know that person is going to want to do something like this. And being able to tailor something for them so then you know they're going to come and ask about it. And then be like, here, I've already got some information for you you might yep. want to read. Yep. Um, that foresight is amazing to have. And I congratulate you for having it. Um, oh, thank you. I mean, she, she's my wife, you know. You expect to have a little bit of knowledge there, but that's knowing a place is, is such a handy tool. It's, even if it is your wife, it, this, your friend, it, knowing that that person is going to want to play this XYZ character. 
uh, uh, but that doesn't exist. So I'm going to try and make something that kind of will fit in with that theme, but maybe not perfectly, but will tailor that experience. Why not? And also, like, one bit of advice to our listeners about this. We... Unless you are extremely experienced, in which case you're probably not listening to this particular episode anyway. Unless you've got a lot of practice with your homebrew, make sure you tell your players, "Hey, this is subject to change." When you yes. hand them something new, be like, make sure they understand. Like, th- you're essentially playtesting this live, so if it is just wildly unbalanced, we're going to have to change it. Yeah, um, that and that's and that is a very wise thing to to say. There's no amount of uh, times, and yeah, you know, I've, I've thrown a challenge, uh, like a fight, where I'm like, "Yep, this place is filled with these enemies, and I think that'll be fine." And it wasn't fine. Uh, <laughs> Spoiler alert: It yeah, wasn't. It wasn't. And gone. I probably should have. And then going back and looking at all the other places that I've created, and gone, "All right, so I need to tailor these down because it, it, they essentially should have been the same CR rating, but it, clearly that wasn't. That was a bit high." Um, but it's, it's, yeah, things are always going to be subject to change in your homebrew setting, be it your player input, be it just that it is you're playing it live and playtesting it live and, and you realize that didn't work out too well. Maybe next time in the get this campaign, in the, this setting, I'll change that because that didn't fly. Maybe we'll have um, things that, that you are personally fine with uh, on, like, Trigger warning stuff like you know I'm not going to say the words but the, the stuff that you you're okay with playing in this sort of environment but one of your players is not and after the session they go I'm not comfortable with the setting you can go I can change that and then uh, to make sure that that player character is still comfortable with being at your table even yeah. if, uh, if, if and you know there's a lot of that fluidity that you're going to need as a GM in your homebrew setting is something that is going to be paramount to the gaming experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to be willing to, to move stuff. Like, it's that whole improv concept, but it's not just, like, improv based on, you know, uh, player choices. Sometimes it's being able just to know the mechanics well enough to kind of tweak them around as you, yeah, as exactly. you need. I think any anybody who's GM'd long enough has run into that fight that you mentioned where you're just like, okay... And all of a sudden, those allies that you didn't realize were nearby come in and help <laughs> you defeat these bad guys. Because holy crap, I'm about to party wipe because I, f- I effed up the mechanics of this yeah. fight. Yeah, like, um, there was a yeah one fight in particular where I thought like uh, the party were level five, and I threw a couple of uh, CR five creatures at them, but it was a part of a dungeon where they got cut off. So mm-hmm. they split the party, and I was like, they should be able to handle this fight like two on two. But it just went downhill really quick on a one bad crit, and it just went. Yeah. And it went oh, the the portcullis, it's open now. Hey, and you come in, you <laughs> LSA. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, dice rolls. You can't help dice rolls, but sometimes you, you don't want a party wipe, and it's like, oh boy, I got to fix something here. Otherwise, this is this is not going to go well at all. Yeah. Um, it, it can, the opposite can be fun. Yes. <laughs> where when the party is, you know, expecting to just walk over it, and then they're just like, wait, wait, that thing's still standing? Oh, no. And you're just like, you're like, yeah. <laughs> it turns in full attacks, and you're just like, oh, fuck. Oh, no. Oh, no. There are moments when you're in a, when in a game, and you're just like, I've made this encounter to TPK these guys because I wanted to be a challenge. Like, maybe not TPK, but like maybe do some serious damage. And so the party go, oh, we are in a fight. Oh boy. Instead of yeah. the usual like, oh yeah, we'll just do this. And we, yeah, we kill them and move on. This is the, oh, oh, this is a fight. We're in a fight fight. Oh boy. One of the, uh, one of the pieces of advice I ever, best pieces of advice I ever got for when you're doing that is... If you're not sure how much to give your um, your monsters as far as HP goes, this is the limit. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> they have enough HP. Yeah. What does that mean? It means they have enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, if you're thinking, this fight is too easy. Hmm. The, 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 my, my enemy is now on a quarter health. No, no, no. I think he's back at full. There we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This has been a big of a challenge. 
Yeah, I mean, your players shouldn't be looking at how much HP they, they literally have at the moment, you know? Yeah. It's uh, it's not like they have health bars, they can see it whittle down, they just, yeah. uh, they gotta keep hitting it until it's dead. Until it, it stops moving. Yeah. <laughs> if that em- ends up taking three lo- rounds longer than it should, quote-unquote. Yeah. They don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, not to get near yeah, meta, they're not gonna be sitting there and be like, oh, this thing, like, I did a hundred points of damage is this thing this thing i know this thing has 100 hit points no you don't yeah <laughs> you'll play it doesn't your play yeah. just hits it till it stops now you know if you if this is the fifth one you fought in four days then yeah an argument could be made but if it's yeah. the first time you ever found one you don't know shit <laughs> let's you roll a really high check uh to identify the creature and waste that action doing that thing um you don't know jack about it or you have that really obnoxious blood reader ability. Oh yeah, whole like I Pathfinder story where you make that uh the, the recall knowledge check to see if you identify the creature. It's like yeah, I wrote a nat twenty. Like, All right, well here's the st- creature stats. Then see ya. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I will hopefully never reach that point, but it's uh I've started implementing this this method mostly just for the time saving of it. It's like, okay, you rolled a recall knowledge. This is what you know. Somebody else is like, well, on my turn, I'm going to recall knowledge too. And, you know, the other person rolled a 25, you rolled a 20. It's like, well, you know all the same things they did, minus one thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, well, and the next person's like, well, I got a 30. It's like, okay, well, you know all the same things they did, plus one thing. Like, yeah, yeah. stops it from everybody being like, uh, this is what I know, this is what I know. And it's like, okay, well, now you guys know everything there is to know about this creature. Yeah, you gotta yeah, gotta keep something in mystery, otherwise you're just gonna get steamrolled, and that's no fun. Yeah. So that being said too, so we've talked about homebrewing the world. How much other homebrewing do you do you tend to do? Is do you mostly just stick with the setting? Stick with the setting, um, and work around that and we'll implement new things, uh, or player ideas when I see fit. Um, so I'll yeah, I'll stick around let's say, quote-unquote, like, 85% to 90% completed on a homebrew and leave the rest of fluidity and change whilst we're playing alive. Um, because I don't want to be like, this is my world, this is it, this is 100%, it's not changing. Because as we've discussed, there could be things that need to be changed on the fly. Yeah. Um, so I, I never want to say to my players or anyone that my world, this is it, it's not changing, you're stuck in it now. Um Nothing will change from this. It's subject to change. Then I'll change things on the fly if I need. Well, but do you stick with like? Is that the only thing you do? Is the world? Or do you do other things within the setting? Like, oh. personally, I really like. I love homebrewing magic items. I have yeah. like a list of like fifty homebrew magic items I've created over the years. Uh, do you ever do yeah. any stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I'll um, I'll homebrew magic items. I'll homebrew uh, religious sex. If I need to, in regards to um, the setting that in my one is a, there's a whole division of people bound to hunt demons that doesn't, or at the time didn't exist in the um, in the room because I only had the two books when I created the world. Um, so for which I've then turned taken their part of Galarian setting and tailored it to mine setting. Uh, but yeah, I'll homebrew magic items, homebrew sex, homebrew. Anything and everything, really. If I have an idea, I will, and I go, I want to implement this idea and give it to a player. I will make it. If they say, I want to find this relig- this religious weapon that belonged to Gosray, I'll go, that doesn't exist. I'll make one. Um, doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Um, so, the doesn't exist yet is the best way to I find to approaching uh, anything. If I, if, yeah. If, it, someone, think, if someone wants something... And obviously, they're not. I'm not, not going to give it to them. If it's oh, going to be something not. that's, <laughs> if it's going to be something, some great import, I will make them work for it. Um, but I'm going to say, if you want this thing, yes, it is. It is available to you. You will need yeah. to go over here to get it, and it will be a challenge. Yes, nothing's um, ever free. Yes, yes. Uh, so I want to make. Uh, so yeah, I will. And sometimes I'll see an item in the one of the many rule books that I now own. Uh, and I'll go, oh, that's really cool. Doesn't exactly fit what I want it for, though, so I'm going to ta- tailor some of the things so that for it, uh, it works better for who the, the character might, I might want to give to. 
Um, so that way when they get it, they go, Ooh, what's this? I go, it's actually, it's the necklace of Fireball, but instead it does Chronicle. Oh, um, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, they go, oh, so, okay, so if you look up uh, the necklace of Fireball, you'll see, if you see the rules, it's that, except it's Chronicle. And they go, oh, yeah, that, that's cool. And that, that can work it out from there. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a nice, easy way to do it, too. Like, you're basically just saying, you know, hey, change this two things, like from fire to cold damage and radius to cone. Yeah. So it's nice. Yeah. It, yeah. So it, if I'm, if I, I, I can make things from scratch if I really want to, or like, as you said before, just steal it. Like, yeah. If you see something that works for you and, and you just want to need to tailor a couple of things, just do it. Like, yeah. if you don't need to create something from scratch, if there's something that exists that you can just tailor and change slightly to fit your setting or your world just a little bit better. Just do that. Save especially, the work. Especially if it's like, if you're playing Pathfinder or something else that's really rules heavy and there's a, something officially created, mm. that means like, they have done the work to balance it. Yeah. So, that that's another good reason to like, crib stuff is just because like, okay, well, you, conceivably at least, obviously some things slip through, but this should be balanced, so you yeah. can just kind of alter it slightly and not have to worry about the balance. Yeah, I um, remember creating a homebrew item for one of my players in one of the home games. And I gave it to him, and he used it, and it wiped out a whole, like, platoon of enemies. I just went, that's overpowered. <laughs> so, like, it did, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nerf that a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to nerf that a little bit, because that, uh, that, shouldn't, that shouldn't happen. Some bad rolls on their, on their saves, but I was like, that's still too powerful. Yeah. Uh, so it's, and, you know, saying that when you homebrew something, you got to think of, and there's no other way to to test its power other than playing with it and then going, right, either that's too weak or that's too strong. And yep. then dialing it back and then uh, like and like you said, if if you made if the, the play the people who made the game would have made these items specifically balanced. So therefore if you just tweak a little thing here or there, it should be balanced as well. Yeah. You won't have and, to play test. Uh, again, listener, some personal advice. I personally like to err on the side of like I've made it a little too powerful, uh, yeah. just because you know you can always it's easier to scale back in my opinion. Also, there's a lot of choices, especially like I mostly entirely do first Pathfinder first edition, and so there's a just an absolute shit ton of stuff out there. So yeah. I have to stop and think. I need my players to want this item. Yeah, I need them to look at it and be like, that either that's interesting or that's useful. Because if you make it too weak, they're just going to be like, yeah, I could get that, or I could spend the same amount and get this better item. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. When creating um, Home Run, I totally one hundred percent agree with that. Make it too powerful, and then dial it back um, because make you it don't interesting. Want, yeah, you don't want uh, them to be like, oh, this this weapon does this really cool thing. I'm going to leave it for a boss fight. And then that boss fight happens, and they use it, and it's not as powerful as I expected. And then it's a party wipe because they were expecting this thing to be um, ultra powerful, but then you and it's not. I um, mean, that sounds like a, a story from experience. That's a very specific example. <laughs> uh, yeah, I won't go into too much, but it, it, it may it may or not happen. But they they yeah. got out of it barely. Um, <laughs> but they, they were like, "Oh, this this cool item! It does like a, a line of radiant damage, and it's." Uh, it's like a 10 foot wide wide and just does tons of damage and I was like yeah yeah and it, they cast it and it did the thing and the and then it was a, a good save plus um, I didn't give it enough dice worth of damage and they were like oh no it, it, that, it survived yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no oh no um, so yeah it may, go for true powerful and dial back because if you Go to a week, your players might not survive the encounter. They want to try and pull it off. It. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So again, listen. The other thing to keep in mind is like trial and error needs to yeah, be implemented with a lot of these things. Um, I know I've run into a lot of things. You know, going back, I started Breakwater over a decade ago, and it is the map has stayed roughly the same, but the game itself is like the the setting, the the way it runs has changed because I've just been like, okay, this isn't, this is, doesn't feel right or it's too much or it's not enough or things like that. And, you know, feel free to like, 
look into other things. Like I finally figured out Breakwater, it's a low magic setting. It needs to be an epic six setting. Like you don't run that up until level twenty. It just doesn't work. Yeah. So, you know, be able to look at things outside of the actual rules to figure out what's gonna make this work for you. Mm. So what is your favorite thing to steal from? Um my favorite thing to steal from is Ooh, there's so much. Uh, just books that I love to read. Um, I love a lot of David Eddings books. Uh, I like still stuff from there. Steal from other systems. Um, the items that I think are cool. Um, I'm gonna comment on the David Eddings books. I I read like he's got that those two trilogies that follow right after each other, right? Yeah, he's got yeah he he does. Those were my favorite. I, I read them so many times as a kid. Uh, the Valerian and the Valerian? No, I can't remember them. And they're not my bookshelf. They're not my bookshelf at my parents' house. But anyway. Um, um, I got recommended them by a friend, and I was reading. I read the first one, and then I picked up the second one, and I was like, this is a lot the same. And I came to that realization around the time that the, they were all sitting around the campfire, and they're like, didn't we just do this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I realized that when I was uh, much older and reread it. But just the, I don't know. It was, it was when I read it when I was a kid. I just loved it. Um, I mean, that's yeah. fair. I, yeah. I I have a big soft spot for the Dragonlance Chronicles because it was the first, you know, epic fantasy I ever read. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I still love from books, other systems, just um, uh, most most of my lifting at the moment is from just a Galarian setting because I want to try and put as much. Galarian into my homebrew as possible uh, because of the fact that I want to, because it is the Pathfinder 2E system, I want the dedicated 2E players or Pathfinder in general I want them to be included in this world so they know uh, that things may be different but they are they, they are relatively similar to maybe this faction or this group so that, that way they still have that familiarity about it. So right now I'm stealing a lot from the 2E uh, system uh, but yeah, just if I if I see something on a, a show that I'm watching, I go, I can I can make that, hmm. and I reckon that'd be pretty cool. I'll yeah. just go ahead. And it. It's it's all just whatever inspires me when I see it at the time. Um, That's fair. Yeah, but I'll, I'll steal from you know. Sounds really bad. <laughs> yeah, I'll steal from anyway. I'll steal anyway. Yeah. What the- I will quote one of the, the local, uh, you know, I don't know what her title is anymore. She used to be a venture captain, but now she's moved up some to some other title within Pathfinder organized play. Allison once told me the good GM steals from the most other GMs. Yeah. Um, so. if, if, yeah, if I'm playing a game and uh, one the DM goes, oh, I've got this magic item. Um, here it is. And I go, that's a really cool magic item. Can I have this? Yeah. <laughs> I want to. I want to. I want to put it into my game. I'll have to see. I have to take the rules from D and D to Pathfinder, but that's fine. I'm happy to do that. Um, yeah. And yeah, and if a character steal from your players, if they if they say they they had this idea for an item uh, that they want for their character, but I can make it. Well, it is, but I can make it. Yeah. Uh, there's there's infinite sources of things and ideas use them yeah i like i i take stuff from other podcasts for uh you know a lot of a lot of the bigger podcasts will get items from their players and then like find a way to put it in their world and there's times i remember recently the all or nothing coin i don't remember what podcast it was from might have been dungeons and daddies and i'm listening to it and it's like anytime you can roll a d20 you'd flip this coin and you call it if you get it right you rolled a 20. If you get it wrong, you rolled a 1. Oof. So it's like, it's just that 50-50 chance, right? Yeah. And I was like, that sounds cool. I could make that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that in my game. Yeah. Because that sounds really fun. Yeah. And, yes. you know, I, I, I've i made enough magic items. I'm pretty familiar with, the, you know, the, the rules in the rule book about, like, how to balance them and price them and things like that. And... So I was like, okay, uh, looking up spells and figuring out, you know, construction requirements and everything. And I haven't given it to the players yet, but I've got it in the back pocket and I'm ready for it. Yep. 
that's one thing I gotta I gotta get I know I gotta get better at is pricing magical items when I make them. I'll either I, I have the problem of making them either too expensive or too cheap, and when they're too cheap, the player will just buy it, and then I'm like, oh no, that's I I should have made that a lot more, more expensive. I mean, yeah. they're just destroying whole enemies with it. And I'm like, oh. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> but if you go the opposite way, like you give it to them and it's too expensive, they'll be like, well, I'm not really going to use this, so I'm just going to sell it for 50,000 gold pieces. And you're like, dude, you're level five. You shouldn't have that much. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> and, then, and then you're trying to think of a reason to why the tavern owner doesn't have 50,000, or like the smithy doesn't have 50,000 gold on him. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll take this magical item. I've got 150 gold, so yeah. I'll open a tab for you. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that I joke about. Like, this one thing they fixed in 2E was the the, um, the economy system in first edition was just it's really fucked up. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. It was just it was a looking at it, it's like well a skilled worker like a blacksmith or a master craftsman makes one silver piece a week, uh, but you can buy a like a long sword is. 25 gold pieces so essentially you have to save up your entire life to buy yeah. a single sword <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah. Um, I was reading through some comparisons about the economy from 1e to 2e and they're like yeah it, they fixed it but man was it broken it, yeah. it, and it's, it still apparently is but I, I haven't delved too bit deeply into it but they said they fixed the major plot all of that and I was like woof imagine doing yeah. that's ridiculous <laughs> well basically what they did was you know a skilled worker still makes a silver point, a silver piece a week. Yeah. But then everything is they just moved a decimal place on everything else. So it's like yeah. that sword that was twenty five is now two and a half gold pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like it just makes it a lot easier to to, to navigate in your brain. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that's that's not like years worth of work for a sword. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's like the thing where I'm thinking like, okay. If, you know, a family saves up and spends their entire fortune on a healing potion, then they're like, okay, well, we have this magic healing potion, but we we don't want to just use it, <laughs> you know, because it's like, you got to be on the verge of death before we use this thing. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Economies are hard to navigate, so I just tend to avoid it. Yeah, I um, don't blame you. Uh, it's but, like, every, I, I introduced like a, a new currency in my setting, and... It's an old currency that old dwarves used like centuries ago. So I've said like, when the moment I was like, "Ooh, this is going to be hard to navigate," I was like, "You can just find bankers who will take those coins and they'll trade like the equivalent of the gold for that coin." And yeah. I was like, "That's probably just the easiest way to do it, just so that way like one coin is now worth because they're being hunted for uh, rarity. Uh, people want to collect them. You go one one of these is worth a hundred gold. So yeah. you hand it in." You don't need to try and barter the bank will go, Oh, a dwarven coin. Hundred gold. And most I I messed around with it was I introduced um whole I call them uh, rounds and punches. Yeah. Basically like when, when they're a coin is minted, they punch out like a square in the middle. Yeah, yeah. You know, to make sure that it's it's solid all the way through. So it's like that, that punch out, that punch is worth half of whatever denomination it came yeah. from. A little bit of flavor, but it doesn't actually change how anything yeah. works you know each i have um each city has their own coin press so that way you get you'll have like oh i've got 50 denelian gold and 50 bastion gold so i have 100 gold because well, it's all worth the same it's just that i but that is might, it <laughs> maybe but yeah. i have um I, I the players didn't know that the uh, like you know there was a war between bastion and denel and they they've spent a lot of time in Bastion, so all the gold that they've got is from Bastion. And then they went to Donnell to do some stuff, and they paid stuff with Bastion gold. And the the tavern uh, the tavern person was like, "Oh, you're you're from Bastion." And they went, "Yeah." And they went and just called the guards. And they're like, "What?" <laughs> like, what? I said, like, "You got use coins from this place, of course. If you're in a place where there's a war at, they're gonna call guards for people paying with Bastion money." Yeah, looks uh, suspicious at yeah. the least. Um, so it's so they know now that whenever they they get coins, they're going to make sure that they're all, it's all worth the same uh, for now, at least before until I figure out maths and how economy works. Um, but it's all <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, so I'm probably not going to do that. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, and then 
Uh, yeah, it's like, oh, I've got, okay, so dipping out the, the coin piles, like, this is all Bastion, this is all Danil, this is all Dwarmina, uh, and uh, so that way they they know where to spend their money, and see if, it, or if they go to something they can exchange, if they go to somewhere that's the complete opposite of another town, they go, right, we need to exchange this money for this same exact amount of money, but impressed differently, so that way if we, yeah. if we don't arouse suspicion when we go there. Yeah, that's one of the things that gets mentioned in the Wheel of Time book series. You know, they talk about like, okay, coin like a gold coin from this city tends to be bigger than a gold coin from this country, so it's it's technically like it's worth a little more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're traveling around, because you know it's just it's physically bigger. Yeah, yeah, right. That's a good interesting thing. I think I might have to uh, put that, make that a thing. Yeah, and then it leads into the whole like. You know, they you're paying by like okay, this doesn't cost ten gold; it costs ten pounds or like a, a pound of gold coins. You know, yeah. something like they're getting out the weights and scales and things like that. But yeah, yeah. it's personally, it's an interesting thing for somebody else to deal with. Yeah, not a thing I would want to run because I'd just be like, uh, <laughs> how much specifically does a coin weigh? And like, yeah, uh, no, yeah, that's that's why I click the ignored coin weight tab on D and D Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So we've talked a lot about uh, a lot about homebrew, a lot of personal experiences, some bits of advice. One other little bit I'm going to throw out there. Uh, I mentioned the Cobalt Guide to World Building. Beyond just lots of personal experience and being willing to um, screw up and you know talk to your players about what you're doing and what you want out of. Excuse me. What you want out of it. The only other little thing i can suggest is matt colville um has a series on youtube you know, he's got a lot of them but one of them where he's got about world building he's got a couple videos about that as he actively makes a new world so you can like see him implement those practices yeah. do you have any any last thoughts or closing ideas for this um We've discussed a lot of my uh, ideas around homebrewing and uh, my, how I implement and whatnot. And my advice that I can say is be prepared to fuck up and make mistakes. Yeah. Um, you are going to think this thing is going to be amazing. It's going to be really cool and you can't wait to show it. And it turns out to be a total dud. Be prepared for that. Uh, don't... It, it, you are going to face a lot of challenges and a lot of disappointment with homebrewing but keep doing it because your players are gonna love the work that you put into it especially if you implement their ideas and uh implement that some of the stuff that they have that just it, it's challenging it's but it's also really rewarding and i love doing it and i i can't like i love i i played in a couple of adventure paths and i and they've been fun but i always like being introduced to a whole new world and, and having that idea that I have no idea what exists here and it, the, it, it always seems more attractive to me than, than something that I, the, the book that I've read because of like you know we, we read Strahd we did a Strahd game ages ago and, I, and I, I've done Strahd before and, I, and I've read the books and, and, and I was like well I know what's happening so yeah. um, it may be, the mechanics may be different but it's still it, it, you know, it's still Strahd, Strahd. yeah so I was like, yeah, like I wasn't drawn into it like I would if if this was a homebrew setting, and, and I was like, whoa, I don't know anything about this place. So um, I I love homebrew, and I love seeing people's homebrews. So just even if you have one bad idea and it doesn't go well with the characters, keep doing it because someone's gonna love it. And that's my advice. As convoluted yeah. as that was. <laughs> no, I mean it's good advice. It's yeah. good advice. You can't like. Uh, the essence from that of what I'm going to take is don't be afraid to admit that you fucked up. Yeah, like, essentially. If it's not working, just say, hey, this, like, my bad. I need to change this. Like, yeah. just be honest. This comes up in almost every episode. Communicate it with your players. Oh, of course. You know? Communication is key. Yeah. Don't don't try to keep it all to yourself. And uh, one bit of advice that I, I will throw out there that I found very helpful is I have friends that play but don't play in my games, I sent a lot of my shit to them, and I'm like, hey, there's one guy in particular, Clint, if you ever listen to this, I send him a lot of the stuff I homebrew, where I'm like, hey, what do you think? Like, is it balanced? Does it make sense? Mm. You know, like, I'm not looking for, like, 
you know, editorial stuff where it's like, well, you know, you conjugated this word wrong or like this is spelled yeah. wrong. Stuff like just look at it and be like, okay, does it make sense in your brain meats? Yeah, yeah. Would you would you enjoy playing with this item if you ever were to get it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like did I set the DCs way too ridiculously high? Yeah. Or to reload like, like yeah. Yeah. Um like, does this work mechanically? If you had yeah. this item, would it make sense? Yeah. yeah. That's so yeah. Find a buddy. A buddy system yeah. would work. Uh that you can bounce ideas off for. Um yeah. magical items and world settings. And there's a and if you don't have a specific buddy, uh, Paizo's forums have a homebrew um, subsection, subforum, oh, yeah. or whatever. Like you can just go on there and like I've done that before. I post stuff up. I'm like, hey, Hive Mind, what do you think about this? And like, also at the same time, the stuff they say, you don't have to listen. Yeah, exactly. They they could they could say or they could just burn it to the ground relentlessly. And you could still be excited by the idea, so you could say, "Oh fuck it, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it anyway." Yeah. And then, uh, then you see what they say, and you go, "Ooh, maybe they were right." Or it works brilliantly, and they go, "Well, screw them, it worked flawlessly." So, yeah, who's a winner here? Yeah. So, listeners, uh, thank you for coming and listen to us uh, as usual. Get sidetracked and talk about a bunch of stuff um, other than and including our topic. <laughs> uh, I have fun. We, yeah, I, mean, I I usually do. I, I always do. This one's uh, like I said too. Like being growing up here in the Midwest, I don't get a. I you are the second person from Australia I've ever personally had a conversation with, and Ooh. so like I, I love listening to the accents of people all over the world. And this has just been a fantastic conversation because it is a thing that I also love to do. Mm. And we thank you for for coming and sitting down and or whatever it is you're doing while you listen. And um, we'll talk to you, talk at you next time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jason. I've I've had a really good time. I really appreciate this, and it's been a fantastic conversation. So thanks for having me here. Shield Bash is made in association with Knights of the Octagon and Farmageddon Gaming Convention. Find us online at shieldbash.net, on Facebook at Shield Bash, on Twitter at Bash Shield, and on YouTube at Shield Bash. Music by Lee Rosevere. Serpent Skull and Pathfinder are the property of Paizo Publishing Incorporated. Leave a comment on iTunes for a chance to hear us read it out on the podcast. Questions and comments can be sent to shieldbashpodcast at gmail.com.